You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. I to hit that up, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. New intro, who dis, and what up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, Thursday means the start of a new week in the National Football League, Steelers and Browns tonight. We'll pick that game, but that's not why you're here. You're here for the breakdown, excuse me, Dolphins and Bills, a clash of two, two and O's squaring off here at Hard Rock Stadium. We'll break it down position by position, tell you what's at stake, and give you the three keys to victory and a whole heck of a lot more. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And here we go again. This is my third year with the team The preview pods haven't really changed all that much. I'm quite a fan of this format, as I don't think you'll find a preview that gives you more about each and every matchup out there. But I will say, having written the preamble on the Bills, as we do weekly with the State of the Opponent intro that we do on the podcast, that there's really not a lot that's changed for the Buffalo Bills. It's really just an update from the last time we played them. So with that in mind, let's do a quick rundown of things I've told you about this team For the last few years, they are incredibly admirable in their process of building, developing a culture, hitting on draft picks, free agents, veteran trades, you name it. They set that up by acquiring draft capital and moving off some veterans in that first year under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean in their arrival, getting rid of guys like Ronald Darby, Marcel Darius, Sammy Watkins, trading off a lot of talent but getting the right guys in that building for their culture. And they assembled the bulk of this really good secondary we're going to talk about here in just a second, really in one offseason by signing Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and drafting Trey White, who will not be available this week. He's on PUP. But that secondary really drives what they do on defense. I asked Tua about that last year, about how tough Poyer and Hyde make it. And he talked about how they can flip and rotate and totally change the post-snap picture based upon your pre-snap read. We'll get to that matchup in a moment. Then you take the quarterback, and you develop him, and you start to surround him with premium talent. Stephon Diggs, they had brought in Emmanuel Sanders, who was really good for them. Gabe Davis has taken that torch. Isaiah McKenzie's a beast. Dawson Knox, they draft Deion Dawkins up front. They sign Mitch Morris and Roger Saffold up front. Then comes that final step, the teams that are sort of in that favorites category, where they do that thing where they go all in. I mentioned Saffold's a big get for them. They get another great draft pick in uh, James Cook. And of course, the big marquee name is Von Miller. So that's where they are, where they've been and where they're going. You know about this team, and they've come out of the gates red hot to really respond after that crushing playoff defeat a year ago. And all they've done is topple 
last year's Super Bowl winner and the one seed in the AFC playoffs a season ago by a combined score of 72-17. to A juggernaut is blowing in from the Northeast. Let's actually go ahead and start here and hear from Coach McDaniel on preparing for the Buffalo Bills and that defense, and is it more of a challenge with them coming off a shorter week and having one less day to see their game from the previous Sunday? If it's a new, uh, I don't know, coordinator or a new head coach, um, that's a bigger issue. Um, when, when you have, you know, I've been fortunate to be um, in the NFL long enough to know exactly, uh, you know, um, really for all the way back from the Carolina days, um, Coach, uh, well, really, uh, and, and Coach Frazier, but they've, they've both um, done a, a great job. And so you kind of understand, you know, like any really good high-level coaches, um, they have a, a principality to them, a starting point, and then it's whether or not they're doing little nuances within it. Um, points of emphasis, but you know, just like uh, you guys um, know that, uh, regardless if it works or not, you're going to see uh, outside zone. Um, you know, I, I know exactly they're going to um, play unbelievable, uh, strenuous defense. They're going to um, play hard and run to the ball, um, and they're going to force you into mistakes because they can get home with their four man rush. So. Um, that it it wasn't it was it's always good to see and you get um, different you, you get a different perspective of where they're at especially game two but it didn't really put us behind um, just because they're uh, it, that defense in general um, it's kind of like you know what it is that's what I appreciate so much about it is because they're not hiding from what they are um, they say you know we're going to take our guys and line up and we're going to play the same type of same type of defense against every offensive structure and our guys are um really good players that that play hard for each other and you know do something about it is what they kind of do so um it, it in this circumstance it wasn't that big a deal and before we really get cranking here i think it's important to update you with the wednesday injury report because there were several guys on it for the buffalo bills as well as the Miami Dolphins, but in terms of Buffalo and putting this preview together, they had four players who DNP'd on Wednesday, did not practice. Micah Hyde, Dane Jackson, Dawson Knox, and Jordan Phillips, four very important players for them. Gabe Davis, who missed last game with an ankle, was limited. So was Mitch Morse, who exited the last game. Ed Oliver was as well. He also missed the previous game. Jordan Poyer and Tim Settle, who also missed the previous game, was lim- were all limited in Wednesday's practice. And then cornerback Cam Lewis and linebacker Matt Milano were full participants. For the Miami Dolphins, five DNPs. Teron Armstead, Seathan Carter, Xavier Howard, Hunter Long, and then Melvin Ingram also DNP, but he was a vet rest day for himself. Channing Tindall and Cedric Wilson were limited in practice. And then tight end Tanner Connor, Raekwon Davis, fullback Alec Ingold were all full participants in Wednesday's practice. The Dolphins offense is how we start this thing off with the quarterback position versus the safety position of the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills have been stifling opposing quarterbacks, very good quarterbacks for that matter, for a while now. So far this year, Stafford had 5.9 yards per pass, one touchdown, three picks, was sacked seven times for a passer rating of 63, uh, yeah, 63.1. Almost got dyslexic there for a second. Ryan Tannehill, 5.9 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, two picks, two sacks. 
32.7 passer rating. That place has always been his house of horrors. For most quarterbacks, it is. What about last year? Passer rating against in 2021. 83.9, 59.3, that was Jacoby Brissett. 80.6, 20, uh, 3.4, 70.9, that was Mahomes. 70.5, 58.2, that was Tua. 69.1, that was Brady, 56.5, and 66. It's a lot of low numbers, guys. Only one over 100. In fact, only one over 90. That's only one over 84.9. That should tell you how good this defense is. I think what you're going to need is a repeat from last week from Tua in this sense, that there were so many throws in that game where he moved defenders in the intermediate portion of the field and threw with anticipation and accuracy into some very tight windows. It's a fascinating matchup for so many reasons, but perhaps none more than the fact that Miami is generating a ton of space right now. Next Gen has them as a top five separation creating offense through two games. Excuse me. But Buffalo also clamps things down themselves. They play fast and aggressive, and it really permeates beyond those two safeties into that linebacker room. More on them shortly. So you have to be precise, and I think if there's a week where you really can't afford to give the football away, it is this one. It's never a good thing, but the Bills outfit has the look of that 2020 Chiefs operation where the only way you could pick them off was by winning a couple of, by, by a couple, I should say, in the turnover department. So for Tua, that high-level processing, identifying where Poyer and Hyde are at all times and making sure the post-snap picture jives with your pre-snap read because they're going to bait you, they will turn you over. And like I talked about in the Ravens preview, tips and overthrows, they tend to have a way of finding those free footballs. Some data here, Micah Hyde's replacement in the game on Monday night was Jaquan Johnson, a fourth-year safety from the U. He has 238 career snaps in those four years. 20 of his 22 snaps this season came in that Monday night football game, replacing Micah Hyde. Just hasn't had to play a whole lot over his career because Hyde's been so reliable. And with their base defense being their nickel package and one of the best slots in the game and Teron Johnson, in fact, they rarely come out of that package. He's played 85% of the snaps this season. So you don't very often get three safety packages. Big nickel is what I'm saying. The other backup is DeMar Hamlin and he is in his second season where he's played a total of just 78 snaps. So again, Hyde and Poyer are mainstays. Beyond that, the depth is really untested, just hasn't played that much. So Micah Hyde's a big name to look at this week on the injury report. But just how good are they? I mean, Hyde balls every year. In a 10-year career, Pro Football Focus has him on the field for 5,131 coverage snaps and just a smidge over 3,000 yards allowed. We talk about one yard per coverage snap as a good place to be. Not a math guy, but you get it. And then also consistently a force down around the line of scrimmage, 19 run stops a year ago, 16, 15, 19, 17. It's consistent for him like that every year in that category. For a guy that largely plays in the post, but he also, or this also speaks to his versatility because he can come down there and stick his face in the fan against the running game. Jordan Poyer, it's more of the same. A career passer rating against of 75.9. he has 1,000, there's a space in my, my notes here that I messed up on, uh, 1,584 yards against and 3,865 coverage snaps. So again, 
Not a lot happening there for the opposing receivers that go up against him. His run stop numbers are crazy. Those are tackles within two yards of the line. 19 last year, 30, 31, 23, 30 the years prior. And oh yeah, they've combined for 35 picks since their 2017 arrival. Before we get to our next matchup, let's go ahead and hear from Coach again about QB1 and the support of his teammates coming off of an AFC Player of the Week award for Tua Tungavailoa. He's done a great job um, handling all the stuff that he can control and not worrying about the stuff he can't. And um, I think all, our entire team felt a little ownership too because they all have they all have his back. And if um, as an organization we'd allow it, you'd hear a ton more rants from players um, because they see him work each and every day. Um, and like I said, on um, whenever I talked to you guys last, it was uh, – I can't remember the day um, – that I don't think his teammates were totally surprised. They were just excited. Big test, big matchup, big opportunity to keep it rolling for QB1. Moving on to the receivers and tight ends versus their cornerbacks. This is the matchup I think the Dolphins have to get. Teron Johnson is one of the five best nickels in the game, but Trey White's on PUP, and Dane Jackson, I don't think he'll play after that very scary hit on Sunday. We'll see. I just hope he's going to be okay, and I'm, I'm happy that it sounds like he is going to be okay. But this means the Bills, if he were to miss the game, top two available perimeter cornerbacks in terms of snaps played this season are Kyer Elam and Christian Benford, two rookies. When Dane Jackson exited the game on Monday, the Bills went with the rookie duo on the perimeter of Elam and Benford. Those two battled all camp, and the sixth rounder, Benford, actually starts the games for this team, but first rounder Elam comes in and outsnaps him, so it's been a bit of a platoon, but if Jackson can't go, they should both get the full game, and I like to keep track of these every week because we know how shifty and quick and, and dynamic Tyreek and Jalen are. And if you guys watched Inside the NFL, there's a great clip of the Ravens defenders talking about how hard it is to defend guys that run the way they do. But I want to look at these numbers. Uh, Kyer Elam had a 4.3940, so the straight line speed's fantastic, but a 6.983 cones, a notch above average in terms of the RAS scorecards. The shuttle and 10 yard splits are a bit more average as well. So change of direction, explosion. Tyreek and Jalen really kind of shine in those areas. Christian Benford, his testing really showed his strength in terms of his imposing. Stature and physical play with 17 bench reps at six foot and a half with 208 pounds, but a 713 cone, 434 shuttle are both significantly below average, and also that 45340 for the long speed. Uh, and then Johnson, Teron Johnson inside had a 6-3 RAS. And I love to use the numbers to support these ideas. Uh, average is five, by the way, so just over average in terms of the athletic scorecard. But I think this one doesn't really track because Johnson is incredibly instinctive in coverage, and he plays way faster than he timed in every area. He did receive poor marks in terms of his grade on the three-cone and shuttle time back at the Combine. So the matchup in terms of matching the speed and quickness, it favors Miami, but we'll see how that plays out. The Dolphins' spacing and speed has really helped Tua's excellent performance in that game go to another level. Some of those rips down the middle was a good job of pressing the safeties and coming off that stem just as you flip your hips. But that can also generate a lack of patience where they begin to squat, and we saw what happens there. 
just the, the way speed impacts defense and the, the way they have to prepare for it and it backs guys off, you've already seen it happen here. We've seen the problems that Tyreek and Jalen can cause for anybody. I have to imagine they'll have a good deal of help on those two, but then we also saw what the rest of this cast is capable with sensational touchdowns by Mike Gesicki and River Craycraft, some clutch plays by Trent Surfield, Cedric Wilson before he got hurt, then obviously the backs in the passing game as well. I cannot wait to see what McDaniel comes up with because this Dolphins skill group is so deep, but also obviously electrifying with two guys leading the team and first and third in the NFL and receiving yards right now. Teron Johnson is the straw that stirs that drink. He's good in both man and zone coverage, and he can fit the run. Always keep your eye on seven, and I would try to maybe facilitate matchups outside of his uh, area of coverage. Some numbers for them. Teron Johnson, 73 coverage snaps this year, just 57 yards allowed, 9 of 12 completions, no touchdowns, no picks, and a pass breakup. Benford's played 58 coverage snaps and allowed 73 yards. That's a little over one per coverage snap, the one guy on this team that has that stat. Uh, 5 of 8, no touchdowns, no picks, one PBU. Been really good for them. So has Elam, 41 coverage snaps, 40 yards allowed, 5 of 6, no touchdowns, no picks, one PBU. I mean, again, across the board, this team has just been so tough through the first two games. And Coach talked about the performance of Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and his desire for ball distribution. Let's go back to Coach. I hadn't personally been around um, two players in the same position group of that caliber. Um, I think, you know, it's the what if you had two is an exciting thought. Um, but then more than anything, I tried not to get ahead of myself with any of it. You know, you're trying to acquire, um, you're trying to get your hands on some talented players for um, our quarterback to throw to, um, as well as to hand it to and um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But you kind of, I think it's important to put stuff in the players' hands and kind of see how they digest all the stuff and really how they, um, you know, to kind of let your offensive scheme evolve. So, um I wouldn't say I would envision it, um, and I probably didn't allow myself to uh, hope that they they would be that productive on a given game. Um, but you know, the best thing about it is is uh, I I don't think if you ask them point blank if they were very happy with the game, I think they were happy with being able to make plays. Um, but you know, there's a lot of stuff for them to clean up. Um, especially in the first half. So while they were making plays, um, you know, I, I, that's not the final pro- product of the vision to me. I, I, think, um, I think the final product is, uh, is a, you know, better execution with other things that were, where they're not at the point of attack. And then um, offensively, it would be everyone, um, you know, I don't think you ever want to uh, – go that extreme with targets. Um, I think the best um, your offense can be is when you can distribute the ball. Um, um, but shoot, I'm not going to argue with hot, hot hands. So um, I'm also not hard-headed that way. So I think we um, there's a lot more to see from them for the, for the rest of the course of the season. Um, but they also know that's on them to develop their game um, within the offense because I'm pretty sure every other defense – um, also took note, and we'll have a plan um, to to get in front of them as well. 
It's going to be a long podcast today. We have a very important game coming up, and I'm excited for it. So we're going to go ahead and take our first break, and we'll come back and talk about the Dolphins' offensive line versus the Bills' defensive line and plenty more matchups to come here next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, where these Dolphins and Bills games went in the other direction the last couple of years, and they've added to that unit, is on the offensive line versus the defensive line, the pass rush of the Bills versus the pass pro for the Miami Dolphins. But the Dolphins have also added to their pass pro and offensive line abilities. Vaughn on Tehran is elite on elite. Two of the best in the game going toe-to-toe in this matchup. Tehran has been everything you'd hoped he'd be through two games. 88 pass-blocking snaps, three pressures, not a single QB hit. He's helping the inside post with enough athletic ability to get back to the edge and run guys around the arc. Watch the job he does on the first Tyreek touchdown. He squeezes inside, then races back to get a shot on Justin Houston to just keep him off of Tua in time for him to make that throw. Very, very good. But Vaughn's also doing his thing too, man. Six pressures, two sacks, three QB hits, and a variety of pass rush moves. That ghost move he pulled in the opener to dip under Joe Noteboom and then accelerate off that pivot foot, it's unreal. It's kind of equivalent to Jalen Waddell and the way he generates space on that game-winning touchdown with that pivot step and the reverse kind of spin out and the way he exploded out of that break. Vaughn is the pass rusher version of that. That's the headliner, but wait, there's more. Vaughn has the six pressures. Boogie Basham, who if you guys listen to the draft episodes back in 2021, know I was a huge fan of his game. He's got seven to lead the club at that position. Jordan Phillips has more inside. Greg Rousseau has six of his own. They have waves. They've got scheme. They've got guys that can he- win head up. AJ Epinesa is a pocket collapsing extraordinaire in terms of his power and heavy hands with which he plays. He's primarily been on the offense's right, and Greg Little is also powerful as hell with exceptional length. The matchups in this one are interesting, but I think Little can go get that one if he plays like he did last Sunday. Rousseau and Basham are similar with their length and power. We talked about this last week, the styles that make fights types of matchups, right, with our offensive line and that Ravens' big defensive line. It's not far off here either. They're pretty big and and imposing, but, you know, that stretch zone can possibly kind of have an impact that way too. The offense did do a really good job of mixing it up and using the run, pass, and play plat. Play plas. Pay plat. (laughs) I'm keeping it in. Play pass. We'll have to have that again this week. So Jordan Phillips, you guys know him. He's a menace inside, man. He actually leads this team with eight pressures, like I mentioned. He loves to fire off the football in that one-gap penetration style of defense up the field. He'll get in there quickly, but he also goes off sides a whole lot because of that style. It's a good matchup for Connor Williams, who's played really, really well so far this year. And then the guard play with Liam and and, uh, Rob kind of bleeds into our next position group here since the Bills linebackers just love to walk up in the A-gaps, and they're so damn athletic and quick. So we move on to the running backs and linebackers, but with some variation here. Uh, That's true of every position in both these teams for the way they bleed into each other. But Buffalo will include Edmonds and Milano. 
as rushers as much as any team. They are also a massive part of the run defense equation to come down there and run blitz. Milano did leave the game on Monday, but it looks like he was a full participant in practice on Wednesday. But these two players are kind of like Hyde and Poyer and how complimentary they are of each other. Milano is an absolute technician with instincts that just kind of gives him a half step on, on most every person he goes up against. And then Edmonds is just a better athlete than most of the guys he goes up against. And akin to last week, I would think you need to try to do your best to give Edmonds a lot of eye candy to really work on manipulating his reads and getting him out of position. If the Dolphins can run the football effectively and in the way I think they're were destined to against the Ravens, if not for the scoreboard kind of dictating they don't do that, then I think they might be able to provide the rest of the team with the opportunity to play a complementary style of game that you need to be this Buffalo Bills team. So I mentioned Big Rob and Liam in the offensive line portion, obviously, but they've pulled and let up into gaps as lead guys, and it was really effective, and they're hitting some nice second-level blocks in that regard, and that's why I want to discuss this matchup in here because I think it's a big key here, not to mention the time that Edmonds and Milano spend down on the line, particularly as A-gap rushers. It's why I also believe having a center like Connor Williams... A lot of you folks out there owe apologies to this team for the way moving Connor, center, Connor Williams to center. He's been very dang good. And the football IQ he possesses and the way he communicates things across that line. And as for running the games, I've been so impressed with, as for the running game, I should say, I've been so impressed with Chase and Raheem in all phases, run game, pass pro, pass game. PFF says one pressure allowed combined a hurry with no QB hits in just 12 pass pro reps, small sample, but very good. Some numbers for Buffalo. Edmonds already has nine run stops. Milano has three. In coverage, Edmonds allowed seven of 12 completions, 46 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Very good. And Milano, four of six, 39 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. They've allowed one passing touchdown this season. That's why you keep seeing zeros in those TDs allowed column. And Milano, last time around in the game in Miami, was so adept at buzzing to his hots and taking away that first read and you know, really forcing the Dolphins' offensive line to protect longer and causing some of that pressure they got. The Dolphins lead the league in pre-snap motion. That's one way to displace him, but it'll also be on Tua to do his part with that. Let's go ahead and hear from Tua on the benefits of motion and how that can help this offense. Yeah, well, we get to see what kind of defensive, what kind of defensive front they, they run. Um, if they do adjust their fronts with our, our motions, with our tight ends, and then with our, um, you know, jet motions with Tyreek, Jalen, and all our other guys in the back end, uh, we get to see how they move within their coverages, um, you know. And it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a real good challenge for us this week uh, because of how sound Buffalo plays defensively with those. It's just such a fascinating matchup all the way around. I can't wait for Sunday. We're a few days out. I think we can score, but can we stop the Bills from doing it? Let's find out. Dolphins defense, our, uh, our safeties versus their quarterback. So no game, no team, no player is perfect, right? But the quarterback coming to town challenges you to be as close to perfect as you possibly can. Allow me to explain. The Titans are a good defense. They're well coached. They have talent at all three levels. Granted, they were down Landry, Dupree, and Fulton in that Monday night football game, but it's still a very good defense. Everything they threw at Josh Allen, he had an answer for. It was kind of mind-numbing and I turned the channel I, I went to the Eagles Vikings game that one was boring too and I think I wound up watching Rick and Morty or maybe the Dolphins game again uh, but most teams began by playing too high against Buffalo to prevent the deep stuff opening drive it's third and nine they go two man which is a safety in each deep half of the field with man coverage underneath 
and he goes and converts on the critical down with a scramble. Literally within that same series, same defense, two-man, Allen just splits the middle of the field between the two safeties with an absolute laser to Jamison Crowder to move the sticks. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the Titans would pivot to quarters. They assigned a Meg call, which is man everywhere he goes at one point on Stephon Diggs. They eventually got to zero. It just didn't matter. They're a freight train on a mission right now after their quarterback nearly willed them to victory in that divisional round game last year and seemed to have picked up right where they left off. You guys know the score. He's arguably the most physically gifted player the position has ever seen. Is that crazy to say? He can drill every throw, and then some of the throws that maybe only Patrick Mahomes can make, like one of two, he'll scramble, he'll beat you with speed, he'll run you over, and the most frustrating part of trying to defend him now is that he's really beginning to settle into just playing the position. When I say that, I mean he's willing to attack the vulnerabilities and just take what's there. We saw it against the Rams. Then they start to press and come up, and all of a sudden he exploits that soft spot down the field. If there's one thing, one thing we've seen in the matchups down here against this quarterback, he has put the ball in harm's way a few times. That 2020 game could have been a different result if we just catch one or two balls off Kyle Van Noy's hands or Xavier Howard's hands late in that game. If he does give you those chances, which seems to be lessening with each week he plays, but if he does, you've got to make those plays. Last note here, like most of the top quarterbacks, blitzing tends to invite better production, and Allen's eh, pretty much <laughs> pretty much good in that department too. 2021 versus the Blitz, 58.5%, 6.2 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, 4 picks. It's not terrible, but it's far off from his not blitzed production of 67%, 7.5 yards per pass, 33 tutties and 11 picks when not blitzed. But this year, it really ramps up. 13 of 19 for a buck 80 and two touchdowns and no picks. His completion percentage is 10 points lower, but he's averaging 0.8 more yards per pass. And both of his interceptions are against non-blitzes and also when he's not under pressure. So I'm not sure if there's much to glean from that. Uh, If you blitz him, you just have to get home. That's basically what it comes down to. As for our guys, it's not that far off from the Buffalo pairing, although it's more of a trio here as we have Eric Rowe in the fold. The ability to disguise and flip and rotate and show blitzes and and bluffs from every direction, from any player at any time. Brandon, Javon, and Eric have to be on their A game. They have to tackle well. They have to communicate well. And the disguise needs to be good enough to fool him a couple times to get those potential turnover opportunities. It's a tall, tall order, man. Last year in the game in Buffalo, where they had just 10 points through three quarters, that's a game plan that was super effective. But again, the margin for error is so razor thin, as we saw in that fourth quarter, once he kind of got going, we went zero on 13 snaps and it forced some incompletions courtesy of some free runners and sped up operations. And you better get home because if you don't, They'll be dancing in the end zone. We'll come back on the other side here on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation and tell you about those guys that you're trying to keep from dancing in the end zones at Hard Rock Stadium. Stay tuned. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
I hope I don't see a bunch of dances and blue jerseys in the end zone. And one of the guys that it starts with, who's done it four times this year in two games, is Stephon Diggs, who's arguably the craftiest receiver in all of football. A premier route runner with exceptional change of direction, the mastery of footwork and landmarks and stemming and stacking, and some of the most reliable hands you'll find in football. We talked in the quarterback portion about teams playing shells to keep things in front of them. Diggs has only been targeted twice beyond 20 yards this year. (laughs) And the results, two catches, 99 yards, and two scores. This is why it's so critical to play smart, disciplined football for 60 minutes. They only need one shot to make you pay. He's been the most efficient intermediate receiver through two weeks as well, catching five of six targets for 70 yards and two touchdowns. The only place he hasn't caught a touchdown is underneath, where he's also caught 13 of 14 balls for a buck one So yeah, Allen to Diggs this season is 20 for 22 with 270 and four tutties. And we know what he's done in this building since becoming a Buffalo Bill. So how do you contain that guy? Well, I don't know that you do. I mean, this year it just hasn't mattered that much. He caught two of three passes on Ramsey for 63 and a touchdown. No other Ram forced an incompletion in that game. He caught uh, all three of his targets on Caleb Farley, all three on Roger McCreary last week, and Trey Avery on both targets. His only forced incompletion in that game was against safety Imani Hooker. When was the last time D- Diggs didn't have a huge game? It's basically last like December because it was January he was balling too. We spent a lot of time on Diggs, but this group is restocked and loaded again. Isaiah McKenzie is a very nice feature that opens up their horizontal stretch with some of the pre-snap motion stuff they do, jet sweeps and drag routes and things of that nature. His speed can help create space, and Ken Dorsey uses him so nicely in that role. He's a big part of the RPO zone read stuff they do where Josh has options. We'll see about Gabe Davis's availability. He was limited on Wednesday, but he broke out in the playoffs last year. Then in week one, was that dude again, despite missing week two uh, last uh, on Monday night. He's a big target who can sink his hips and create separation, which is a nice combination to have for a big target like that. But he also makes tons of contested catches and he paces his routes really nicely. So patience and staying in that hip pocket and face for these DBs is going to be a big deal. Dawson Knox is an effective inline blocker and dynamic pass catcher. The potential matchup with he and Eric Rowe, I think, is a very good one. Then you still got Jake Kumro had a big game on Monday night as well. I think Cater Coe, whose propensity to come up and make a tackle could really help ease some of the strain the Bills put on you underneath and then whatever role that is with him. Also like his potential to match some of the jet sweep stuff and quick stuff to McKinsey because he's shown well in that area, and this is a good test for him. I think everyone's expectations a bounce-back game for X just because we know how good he is and how rare of a game like that was on Sunday for him. I'm curious to see the plan for how they want to cover these guys. You know, I wish I could tell you what happens from a matchup perspective. Uh, we'll see. It's It's been not Nick Needham's best games against the Buffalo Bills. Last year, 7 of 8 for 94 yards. Didn't play in the Week 2 game, just two snaps. In the previous year, 8 of 9 in those two games for a buck 66 and three touchdowns. I expect Nick to bounce back and, and kind of, you know, He's the kind of guy that bounces back from that stuff. In 2020, it was a lot of man and digs just kept getting us on those crossing routes over and over again. The numbers say it was more mixed in terms of coverage last year. And I think a lot of it depends on Davis's availability. Could be one of those situations where you go X on Gabe Davis and just try to get him out of the game and then bracket Stephon Diggs and see what happens from there with Knox and Kumaro and McKenzie and make the backs beat you as well. It's, it's a lot, guys. It's a lot. On their offensive line versus our defensive line, this is a key element too, obviously. The Dolphins have done well to apply pressure on Allen the last few meetings, but he does tend to extend at some point, and usually that's when teams pay the most. 
Buffalo's made some changes up front. We'll see about Roger Saffold and Mitch Morse's availability. Uh, the left guard and center were injured on Monday night, and they were limited in practice on Wednesday. Their replacements, Greg Van Rotten and center Bo- uh, at center and Bobby Hart at left guard. He was suspended for throwing a punch in the game on Monday. But Morse, Saffold, and Dawkins is arguably the best center, left guard, left tackle combo in football, particularly Dawkins. He's an all-pro potential left tackle who can do some stuff we've talked about with Tehran in terms of ISO slide protection, the ripple effect that he gives you. Morse is very interesting because, like we talked about with Connor Williams, we know Miami loves to blitz and run rush games up front. Getting that stuff communicated is going to be huge, so I'm really curious to see if Mitch Morse can play in this game. Let's go ahead and see their numbers this season. Dawkins, one pressure and no hits. I I mentioned Tehran Armstead. It's basically the same production right now. Saffold, five pressures and one hit. The two fill-in options on their roster currently are two tackles, Tommy Doyle and David Kessenberry. Now, Kessenberry has played some guard, but they also have former Dolphins center Greg Mance on their practice squad, and Van Rotten played guard for the Jets last year, so they do have options. Morse, one pressure and no hits. Uh, Van Rotten's 19 snaps and one pressure, no hits. Ryan Bates, their right guard. Don't know much about his game. Uh, Five pressures, one sack, and one hit allowed. And then Spencer Brown, their right tackle, was impressive as a rookie out of NIU last year. He's got that kind of road grader bully mentality. So I'd be curious to see if you want to try to match that or go speed rush and get him with speed off the edge. He's allowed two pressures, one sack, and a hit. It's a good matchup there for Emmanuel Ogba, I think, when he lines up in that primary left defensive end position. And then you have to mention Christian and Zach because they just continue to be so impressive. These guys do so well to control the point. I thought they did last week. Really, it was just that one big Lamar Jackson run in the ground game. But otherwise, they were they were pretty much on it, especially in short yardage. Zach Sealer's the best short yardage defensive lineman in the NFL. I'll put my name on that. In a game like this, and Buffalo, you know, they go for on fourth and short a lot because why wouldn't they? They convert all the damn time. Getting more of that production could be a key for Miami. Fourth down stops are takeaway, so if they're going to give you a chance, you got to rise to the occasion. Those guys, along with Raekwon Davis against that interior offensive line, could be a big deal for Miami because if you can put pressure on Allen up the middle with some of the potential uncertainty about who's available inside for Buffalo, that could be a sneaky way to kind of disrupt their game plan for the Dolphins' defense. At running back and linebacker, you know, Again, there's so much carryover for all these positions. It's a big game for Miami's edge and outside linebackers. I think we have you just haven't consistently won the one-on-one pass rush situations. That's always the best way to topple a quarterback, right? It's not blitz and win your pass rush with four-man or three-man rushes. Hopefully, we get some opportunities for Phillips, Melvin Ingram, Van Ginkle, Ogba, and Flowers as well. The Bills are also deep at running back, man. James Cook, James Cook is explosive and an option in the passing game for them. And then Devin Singletary just keeps on producing and fending off additions who are coming in there for his job, like Cook, like Zach Moss. He's shifty as hell. He's a smart, patient runner with a second gear. It's so crucial to get knockback and control the point so that Landon Roberts can do what he does best and go knock heads between the tackles. And then freeing up Jerome Baker to use his speed to combat all the speed the Bills have, as well as rush the quarterback, obviously, against that interior, mug up the A-gaps, run games, get quick pressure on Josh Allen. We saw in the first drive of that 2020 2020 season finale, the Byron Jones pick, that was good pressure on that drive. Get get that done a lot. Get, do a lot of that. And we've also seen plenty of Duke Riley. Same idea here. I like Miami's speed on defense, and despite the production Baltimore had last week, we did see that speed pop a few times. It's just a big game for every position group, man. We get to special teams here. Uh, the, the Bills don't punt. <laughs> They've punted three times this season, and on one of them they recovered a muff. Thomas Morstead's been exceptional, as you know, both with distance, hang time, and also situational kicking. Sanders hasn't missed. Bass hasn't missed. 
Miami's DVOA and special teams and football outsiders, 31st sample sizes there. They went from ninth last week to 31st this week after that kickoff return for a touchdown. Buffalo's second, so they're good in special teams too. What's at stake? You know, I've been, I guess, poo-pooing my own segment here through two weeks, and I'll still kind of do that, but division games, as Coach told us, it's like the money ball at the end of the rack and three-point contest at the NBA All-Star Weekend. They do count for a little bit extra, plus seven straight wins for Buffalo over Miami. It would be nice to exercise that demon here. We see them again in frigid Buffalo in December, and a game that I'm guessing will get flexed to Saturday night in the freezing cold in those front of those crazy fans. And if you guys saw Monday Night Football, you know how hard it is to play in that place, especially on primetime. But this is our home game. I wish it was hotter. Our home field advantage with that raucous, loud Dolphins crowd. A win gets you out of the gates at 3-0 with three wins over two 21 playoff teams. So what's at stake? A chance to get out of the gates atop the division, but nothing is going to be clinched or eliminated in week three. My three keys to the game, contain Josh Allen. If you can contain one element of his game, whether it's the arm or the legs, that goes a long way towards beating him because they do get in trouble, but he tends to rescue them because he's so dang special. If you can consistently contain one area of his game, you have a chance. Also, protect Tua, key number two against this this Buffalo pass rush. Obviously, you can't let what happened last year happen again. And if you can consistently get good pass pro, I like our matchup on the perimeter. And then three, win the turnover battle, man. You have to get, I think, plus two in this game because... The Bills don't punt, so you have to turn them over, try to get stops that way. Thursday night football tonight, I'm taking the Steelers over the Browns. Tomorrow is a football Friday show. Joe Marino joins us to break down the Buffalo Bills further. Week three picks, college football, week four games I'm watching, your mailbag questions, audio from the assistant coaches. That's going to be my time today, guys. Until next time, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, as well as Twitter Spaces every Wednesday at 8 o'clock on Twitter.com. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities. Dolphins today, there's some Fish Tank and Drive Time content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.